Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message, and I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. Whenever it's time to go on a road trip, I like to make a playlist, a road trip playlist on Amazon Music or Spotify, something for us to listen to as a family as we go on the trip, makes the trip a little bit more enjoyable. I don't know what's on your playlist. Whenever I make a playlist, it usually has got a little bit of worship music. It's going to have a little bit of country. It's going to have some late 90s, early 2000s music that I always enjoyed, probably throwing a little bit of Skinner, some Alabama, just some stuff that when it pops up, the kids will go, what in the world is this? And to really kind of mess with them when me and Haley start singing to it or dancing while we're driving and just to have some good time. You know, road trips can be a lot of fun, but road trips can also be anxious because it's, it's a time of transition. You're in between. You're in between where you left and where you're going to. But that concept of transition and feeling in between is not just something we experience when we're on a road trip. It's something that we experience regularly through life. You experienced it when you were transitioning out of childhood into adolescence when you transition out of adolescence into adulthood, some of our graduating seniors are experiencing that right now, leaving high school, going in to what's next. You experience that when you change jobs. You experience that when you move from one place to another. And there's this unsettling feeling that develops within your heart, but it's almost like if you watch the Olympics or you follow gymnastics, whenever there's a gymnast who's on those uneven bars and they're flipping around and they flip from one bar to the next, even that short little time that they're in between, there's this feeling of an excitement, of uncertainty, of anxiety, but there's also this feeling of just being alive. Because if you've ever experienced any kind of transition, you know that there's sometimes that you've gone through that, that you've never felt more alive than you have during that time. What's really interesting is in the Bible, in the Old Testament, God gave the ancient Israelites three different times a year that they would take a road trip. They would journey from wherever they lived back to Jerusalem. They would do that in the spring for a, an event called Passover. They would do it in the summer for Pentecost, and then they would go back again in the fall time for tabernacles three times a year that they would make this journey back to Jerusalem. And they always called it going up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was about 2,800 feet above sea level. And so it didn't matter what direction you were traveling from. You were traveling upwards as you got closer to Jerusalem. You were climbing a mountain, if you will. And they used that to talk about how the life of following God is a life of ascending closer to him. And what's really cool is that as they would journey back to Jerusalem, three times a year, God gave them a playlist. He gave them some music to listen to and to sing on repeat. And we find those in Psalms 120 through 134. They're called the Psalms of the Ascent. And what's really cool is as you read through the Psalms of the Ascent, as you, you begin to experience this concept of transition, and each Psalm has a little different take, and they begin with the, a crying out to God, and they end with offering up praise to God. And so as they would journey from wherever they live back to Jerusalem, they would sing these Psalms, they would recite 
take these psalms. They would just have them on repeat or on shuffle, reminding themselves of the journey that they were on back toward God. It reminds me that we're all on a journey. We're all on this journey of faith. The fact that you're here today, whatever reason brought you here today, shows that you are on a journey of faith. You are traveling somewhere. My question for you is this. Is your life headed in the direction that you're intending it to? Sometimes we can find our, our lives headed in a direction that we had no idea it was going to go that way. I never thought it would wind up here. I don't know how I got off the right track. I don't know what happened. And sometimes we do arrive where we're wanting to go. Either way, if you find yourself headed in a direction that you're not intending, or if you're not actually sure where you're headed, I hope you'll stick around this month. Because what we're going to do over the next five weeks is we're going to look at the Psalms of the Ascent. And I'm going to challenge us at the end of our lesson today to kind of put these on repeat throughout this week. Read them and listen to them over and over again. Because what I believe they'll do is they'll speak to you during the transitions of your life. So if you got your Bible, it'll also be on the screen. I'd love for you to join me in Psalm 120. We're beginning with the first Psalm of the Ascent. And here's what it said. It said, in my distress, I called out to the Lord and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long I've had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is some interesting language, and sometimes reading through the Psalms and reading through figurative language can be a challenge because you don't fully know what they're saying. There's a lot of emotion. It, it begins with this crying out, in my distress. And if you've ever found yourself in a place you never intended, or you ever realized, my life is not what I thought it was going to be, then this is a Psalm for you. Because what happens with the Psalmist is he realizes He's not where he thought he was going to be. He's not where he wants to be. He describes it as dwelling in Meshach, as dwelling in the tents of Kedar, and that's not the place he wants to be because he wants to be with God. He wants to be close to God. And it's beautiful that the Psalms of the Ascent, this journey back toward God, begins with the cry out, I'm not where I want to be. And so I'm going to decide from this moment on to start journeying toward God, ascending up his mountain toward him. What a beautiful way to begin this psalm. But it's a reminder to us that change always begins with this consciousness that things are not as they should be. If you've ever made the decision, maybe you went to the doctor and the doctor was like, hey, we're going to have to talk about some health habits right now. Or you made a decision, you know what, I need to start eating better. I need to start exercising regularly. You probably made that decision because things weren't as they should be. Maybe pants weren't fitting as they should be. Or, you know, maybe things were just, you just weren't feeling as good. If you've ever been uh, maybe reconciling your bank account at the end of the month, or you went to the store and you swiped your card and it declined and you're like, what's going on? And you pulled up your banking app and you realize that there's this little negative sign by your, by your account and the number's in red and you're like, that's not a good thing. I don't know what happened. You realize things aren't as it should be. And maybe you talked to your spouse or you went to a financial advisor and you said, I need some help. I need to learn how to make some better financial decisions. Or maybe it's just as, as simple as you realize that the way that you were treating your family members wasn't very good. 
There's been a lot of tension and a lot of arguing, some raised voices. There's been some hurtful things that have been said. And you're like, we, we can't keep living like this. Things are not as they should be. Change begins with this consciousness, this awareness. I don't, I don't want to live like this anymore. That's how change always begins. What's fascinating in Psalm 120 is the psalmist points out the lies that he has been experiencing and this awareness that what he thought was reality was not reality. It's almost like if you ever tried to look at a painting, but you stand like right up against the painting, you almost put your nose right up to the painting. You can't even see the whole painting. You're getting one little glimpse of what the painting looks like. And if you could just back up and see the whole painting, you go, oh, that's what that is. That's so beautiful. But right up on it, you can't see it. Understand me. Some of us have grown up in a culture, have been raised in a culture that has been filled with lies. And because it's been so natural, because it's just been what we have experienced, it's so hard to see the lies because we're standing too close to the painting. And it's why we see so much disagreement, even in the church today, about stuff that for years and years was just accepted as true, accepted as normal, and now we have a lot of alternatives. We have a lot of differing ideas. And part of it is because some of us are so close to the painting that we can't see what's actually going on. And so the first step is a step backward to see things from a larger perspective, to find out, am I being sold a bunch of lies? I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but am I giving into, am I endorsing, am I being pulled into a way of living, a, a way of thinking that is not what God wants for me? You've been sold a lot of lies, lies about your identity, lies about your sexuality, lies about what is true, lies about morality, lies about your origins, where you came from. And here's the thing. What we must all understand is those lies affect the way that we view one another. They affect the way we view God. They affect the way we view ourselves. And they impact every aspect of our life. And so the first step back to God begins with this awareness that things are not as they should be. I love what the psalmist said. He said, save me, O Lord, from the lies. The Bible actually describes people who are living in a lie without the awareness of it as sleepwalkers, living in this state of death, but also having a pulse. You're alive, but you're spiritually dead. You're not able to see reality as you should. You're just sort of sleepwalking. Anybody live with a sleepwalker? Don't raise your hand. We don't want to embarrass anybody. Can we just admit it's weird? Like it's weird, and I'm sorry if you sleepwalk, and I, but it's weird. Like it's a weird experience for those of us who experience the sleepwalkers because we're like, are you awake? Are you not awake? What's going on? I'm having a conversation with you. You're never going to remember this tomorrow. You have no concept of what's going on right now. I don't know if I should wake you up because I heard that waking up a sleepwalker could be detrimental to health. But then again, I can't just allow you to walk out the door or go cook in the kitchen or go run a bath. Like there's all these things that could go wrong. I don't really know what to do. In the Bible, when it describes somebody who's sleepwalking, it uses the same language every time. It says, wake up, wake up. Some of us are sleepwalking through life. We're just buying the lies of whatever culture sells. And God is calling for us to wake up, awaken, see reality. 
change begins with this awareness that things are not as it should be. And so the first step back toward God is always a step of repentance. So repentance is not just an emotion. It's a decision. I remember when I was 13 years old, ready to give my life to Jesus. I'd been ready for a while, but I was anxious about taking that step of faith, stepping up to the aisle, responding in some capacity. And so I just kind of held on for a little while until finally I couldn't do it anymore. I was ready to make a change. I was ready to give my life to Jesus. And so I did on a Sunday night in April, back in 19, none of your business. I walked out of that aisle down to the front and confessed my sins. And I repented of what I had done wrong in my life. And I felt really, really bad. I mean, I felt terrible for what I had done in my life up until that point. What I have realized since then is that feeling bad about something doesn't actually keep you about doing bad things. For example, what if today after the service I walked up to you and as hard as I could, I just slapped you across the face? I mean, I know I would get fired, okay? I know that. I'm just saying for, for example's sake, okay? Not going to do that. Don't want you to be afraid, but just what if? What if I did? But then I felt really bad. I mean, like tears are streaming down my face. I feel horrible about it. And you can tell, like, I feel really bad about what I did. And then tomorrow, you show up for our 4th of July celebration, and I walk up to you, and again, I just haul off and I just slap you across the face. I break down in tears. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I'm not in full control of my, of my you know, of my hands know what's going on. I didn't mean to. It was an accident. I feel terrible. I feel really remorse. Like, I, I just, I feel really, really awful. And then Tuesday, I see you in Walmart. You're probably going to walk up to me like this, if anything, right? Because you've learned, based on the last two days, that feeling sorry for something doesn't always change your behavior. It's because repentance is not just something you feel it is something you decide. It is something you do. So two things I want to share with you this morning about what repentance actually is. It's a rejection, number one, that leads to an acceptance. Have you ever had this time in your life where you said, no, I am not going to do that anymore. That is crazy. People who have walked out of abusive relationships have made that statement before or have come to that point where they said, I will no longer live this way. This is harmful to me. This is crazy. Some of us in other areas of our life have had to make that, make that decision. Maybe it was a job you decided to leave because it was just a toxic environment. You said, no, I will not do that anymore. This is crazy. What am I doing? As I thought about that idea, there was a story that just kept popping into my mind from the book of Daniel chapter 3, where we learn about three young men in Daniel chapter 3. Their names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. That's what their mamas called them. You might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they find themselves in Babylon. They've not grown up there. They actually grew up in Israel, but they were taken captive back to Babylon, put in Babylonian school, learning Babylonian language, eating some Babylonian food, and their whole life has changed. And then at some point, King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the planet, decides to build this giant statue of himself, and he makes this command that whenever you hear the music, you need to bow down and worship that statue. And other Israelites were bowing down. All the Babylonians were bowing down. And these three amigos said, no, that's not right. This, this is a lie. Why, why would we do that? 
You can throw us into the fiery furnace if you want. We will not bow down. They rejected what they were told was true, even though it was not. And ultimately, they accepted God's word as truth. As followers of Jesus, we're called to do the very same thing. We've got to reject what is false to receive what is true. We've got to reject a couple of concepts that I see that are going on today that are, are really popular, but they're, that are an absolute lie. The first one is that truth is relative. The concept of your truth is an absolute lie from the enemy. And maybe in your heart, you're like, I don't think that's a lie. Let me just tell you, you're stand, standing too close to the painting to see. You got to back up and see from a larger perspective because your truth, if it's relative, will only lead to your destruction and mine. It's a lie from the enemy. There's another concept that's going around that religion is just something that happens in the heart. It's just something that happens inwardly. And so there's no real need or, or reason to be an active part of a body of believers and an active part of the church because religion is just something that happens privately in your heart. Let me just tell you folks, that's a lie from the enemy because the enemy wants to isolate you from God's family because you're way more vulnerable when you're alone than you are when you're in community. It's a lie from the enemy. Another lie that we're seeing that's really been popular in recent weeks that's become pretty controversial is the concept that it's your body and you can do whatever you want with it. I'm thankful for Jeff Braley's class this morning talking about being human here in the auditorium. And he talked about how we all have a body. And we talked about how God tells us our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's been purchased by God at a price. And we're called to glorify and honor him through our bodies. Let me just tell you, the concept of it's your body, do with it as you please, it's a lie from the enemy. Now, I can tell you that but you've got to decide. At some point, we have to come to the realization, will we trust God's word or not? There's a couple of passages I want to share with you on this concept. Psalm 119, 160 said, the entirety of your word is truth. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, every word of God is pure. Psalm 18, verse 30 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. You see, when you agree with God's word, that's a concept called confession. Confession is not just admitting you've done something wrong. It's agreeing with God. It's when you say, yes, God, I believe your word is true. I will live that way and trust it. That is confess confession. You are confessing that what God has said is what you believe as well. You are in agreement with that. And here's what I'm going to tell you. You're going to have to experience it yourself. What I have experienced is when I live by God's word, when I follow out what he's laid out for my life through his word, my relationships are even greater. They are stronger than they have ever been. My experiences in life are far greater than the times I was living outside of Jesus or in rebellion to his word because in Christ, I can enjoy them and receive them to the fullest extent that God has intended. Now, that's what I have experienced. I want to challenge you, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're trying to figure this whole Christian Jesus thing out, let me, just, let me just encourage you. Find something, go to Exodus chapter 20, find something in the Ten Commandments, or go to Matthew chapters 5 through 7, find something in the Sermon on the Mount, pick it and just live it out for the next week, live it out for the next month, and find out does it actually lead you to greater relationships? Does it lead you to greater experiences? I didn't say does it lead you to easier experiences or easier relationships. It will not. Living the uh, life of following Jesus is not easier. But man, it's, it's better. It's more enjoyable. 
I'm going to say that again for my followers of Jesus to say amen to that. Living the life of Jesus is not easier, but it is better. Thank you. That's my challenge to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, just give it a shot. If you find that it's better, reject the lies to accept God's word is true. But here's the second concept of repentance. It's a leaving that leads to an arriving. Genesis chapter 12, you read about a guy named Abram and his wife Sarai. And God calls Abram to leave his family, not his wife, but leave like his parents and his brothers and sisters, all the people he's grown up with, leave his hometown and just travel to wherever God was going to show him. And I've often thought like it's a really sweet little text of scripture, but I read between the lines and I've often thought about what was that conversation like when Abram walked back in the door? But did he walk back in and he was like, hey, sweetie, guess what? We're going on a road trip. Pack your bags. It's going to be awesome. Surprise, vacay. Let's go. And she's like, yeah, where are we going? He's like, no idea. <laughs> How are we going to get there? Mm, camel, walk. I, I don't know. God will lead us. GPS is down. We're just going to follow and trust. Well, How long are we going to be gone? Uh, we're, we're not coming back. So you might want to pack a little bit extra, a few extra snacks for the road, take your favorite outfits. We're not, we're not coming back. What a good woman. I love my wife. I think my wife would be like, uh, have you lost it? Probably. But they do. They just leave. And they just follow God. Now, I'm not saying that the rest of the story is Abram just trusting God fully because he doesn't. But it was a great moment of faith where he just, he leaves. And his decision to leave that life behind him led to the future faith of generations to come. Had Abram and Sarai never made that decision, Israel would have never entered the promised land. That decision had an impact for hundreds and thousands of years since. Let me ask you this. What is God calling you to leave? Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a job that's pulling your heart away from Jesus. Maybe it's a friendship that has pulled you further away from your friendship with Jesus and your relationship with God. What's he calling you to leave? Maybe it's an addiction. For many of us, God is calling us to leave something. The Bible describes it as putting to death or putting off, walking away from. It's the concept of leaving it behind. Maybe it's a, some type of sinful behavior. Maybe it's a, a desire that's within us. What's he calling you to leave? You see, that time of transition is anxious. You think, I, I don't know, how can I do that? Well, he hadn't left you alone. He's given you the power of the Holy Spirit, unity through the church and his word to strengthen you along the way. He's not just asking you to blindly follow, but there is anxiety there. I don't know if I can do that. I promise you, you can. And what you'll find is that where he's leading you to, it's a place you could have never dreamed because he's guiding you somewhere far better than where you currently are. The question is, will you trust? Will you trust that where he is taking you to on this journey is far better than where you currently are? In 1863, United States of America was in the middle of a nasty civil war. Thousands of Americans had died. 
And on April 30th, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued a declaration. He said, we've been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers, wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us. My guess is you've not used the word behoove this week in a conversation. You may be like, I don't even know what that means. I'll be honest with you. I don't really know what behoove means. I'm just guessing that it means it's really, really important. Like it's something that if we don't do it, it is to our detriment. He is pleading with us. He is urging us in a way that he wants to use a really weird word to get us to do something different. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our, confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. And so on that day, April 30th, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation that that day would be a day for prayer, for fasting, and repentance. This morning, if you find yourself at a place that you're not where you want to be, I hope you'll declare this day, July 3rd, 2022, you claim it as a day of prayer, fasting, and repentance. It's the moment that God has brought you to so that this awareness could arise in your mind and you could say, I don't want to be at this spot in my life anymore. I want to journey toward God. I want to grow closer to Him. If that's your desire, i got a, got some homework for you this week. First thing I want to challenge each of us to do is every day this week, set an alarm, do whatever you need to do to remember. Begin your day every day this week reading Psalm 120 and spending a few moments in prayer. It's only seven verses long. It will take you no time to read Psalm 120. Put this on repeat on your playlist this week. Listen to it, read it, memorize it, whatever you want to do, put Psalm 120 on your playlist this week and pray over it. And as you pray over it, I want to encourage you to pray that God would raise your awareness to the lies that are around you so that you can see him and his truth for your life. That's what I want to challenge you with this week, especially if you find yourself at a you no longer want to be. If you say something today like, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. Psalm 120 is your answer. It is the first step back toward God as you begin your journey with him. And then I want to encourage you to be with us every Sunday this month because what we're going to do is we're going to journey through the Psalms of the ascent. And what you'll notice is that each one has a little different vibe, a little different take on what this journey looks like back toward God. I'm excited about our journey together. This morning, if you want to repent, today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Today is the best day to make that first step toward a different life. 
Our shepherd's going to be in the front and in the back if you want them to pray with you and to encourage you. If you want to put Jesus on in baptism and begin your walk with him, begin your journey with him, and you want to receive forgiveness of your sins, we want to encourage you and witness and celebrate that with you today. If you're tired of being in the tents of Kedar, if you're tired of dwelling in Meshach, and you want to head toward God, the first step is yours. We can encourage you in any way. Please let us know as we stand and sing.